because we hadn't had really any good open communication about money stuff, we were just both spending like it was growing on a tree in our backyard. Welcome to Your Financial Sobriety, a podcast that challenges conventional beliefs about money and life. There are three relationships in life that can get pretty complicated. Our relationship with people, our relationship with ourselves, and our relationship with money. And they're all tied very closely to one another. If you've ever struggled with any of these three relationships at any point in your life, then you're in the right place. I'm Matthew Grishman, co-founder of Gebhardt Group, a private wealth management firm headquartered just outside San Francisco, California. I'm joined by my business partner, Jim Gebhardt, who got this whole party started when he opened the doors of our firm back in 2005. Jim and I created Your Financial Sobriety because we're on a mission to help 1 million families become more intentional with their money. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I don't know about you, but I kind of started this year kicking my own ass a little bit. Really? Yeah. I thought it was supposed to be more of a uh, fresh start and, you know, resolutions and all that stuff. That's what I thought too, but I got to say, I slipped a little bit on the being intentional with my money piece. So much of what we've talked about, I got this unexpected credit card bill that absolutely is driving me crazy. Those it, suck. Oh, they're the worst. Those are so painful. And I don't know who I'm more, more pissed off at myself or the other perpetrators in the crime who I'll, I'll leave uh, nameless for today. No, I'm, I'm only mad at myself about it because... It was really the result of just not sitting down with Amy and planning. I mean, it was a, a 30, just under $3,500 credit card bill. And I guess there's some good news with it. The good news is, is I paid the bill, paid it completely, but it didn't feel so good having to take a whole bunch of my emergency savings to do that. Okay. So one of the things we always talk about is we like to measure progress in arrears. Right. Right. We like to look backwards and, and see where, from whence we've come in terms of the progress that we've made. So to... To help you with that a little bit, what would that credit card bill have been in 2005? <laughs> do that, that, that's some, that, is, that is a very good point because in 2005, that credit card bill would have been closer to $35,000, not $3,500. I wish I'd known you then because the, your Christmas presents would have been epic. They would have been better than anything Santa <laughs> brought. <laughs> Absolutely. And well, you did know me after the fact. I mean, you were the one who... I got to bring some of those credit card bills to to help me get out of that massive hole that I created for myself. It almost was like a trigger that brought me back to that place of what it felt like to have these suffocating credit card bills. Again, the good news being that I was able to pay the bills. And when I look at what created the credit card bill for the month of December, it was it was the holidays. I, right. mean, I, I put a little I put a little thing on Facebook about my feelings about this. And Amy had commented that it was about the holidays and she's absolutely right. It was the holidays. And I'm very proud of us for applying some of the 10, 10, 10 principles to the holiday spending. There wasn't really any spending. When we look at the first 10 of the 10, 10, 10 principle, there wasn't any real spending where I could see things we bought for each other and for the children that would be worthless 10 weeks from now. I mean, everything we did was experiential kinds of presence. Lucas right. got, you know, we the got snowboard, we got snowboard and, and golf equipment for loop miles and yeah, things the boys will enjoy for a long time. I guess 
I'm just going to look forward to 2021 in the theme of what we want to do here today with this idea of getting started on the right path. I'm going to take that experience from the credit card statement of December 2020 and use that as an opportunity to do a better job in 2021 of working with Amy to actually plan some of these unexpected expenses, just so we're aware of it. Sure. How often are the holidays? They used to be once a month for me, but now with a little bit of financial sobriety under my belt, they come once a year. So it's a once a year thing. It's not, they don't come like every four years, like a leap year. So we, I mean, we know they're coming, right? We know they're coming. So yeah. that opportunity to be intentional, I'm just being playful here with you. We are kind of on the other end of that this year in my house. We had a Christmas budget like what my grandmother used to do when she worked for Lincoln Savings in Syracuse, New York, is she used to open up these little, you know, these little Christmas savings accounts. And she would get all excited because she set up, you know, three or four of them today for customers that came into the bank. And I couldn't tell you the last time I went into a bank, but we set up an automatic transfer where we had X number of dollars every month that went away. And the best part was Beth forgot about it. So she was all stressed in early December about Christmas. I said, whoa, whoa, time out there, partner. We have a Christmas fund set up. That's something I want to get better at this year because you really helped me when we talked about how I got that emergency savings to be set aside. Right. Was basically what you're talking about now. It, at the beginning of every month, I took 10% <laughs> off the top Boom, of, 10%. of every deposit we got and it went into the emergency savings. What you've told me, I could do a better job of if I want to is to start now taking that 10% off the top and actually funding multiple different savings accounts for it. So I think one of the things that I'm going to do for 2021, and I'll talk to Amy about this when we do sit down and have that planning meeting, is that part of that money should go towards the holidays. And that'll give us the entire year to be able to save for it. And then we'll know as we get into the shopping season, what is the budget? How much do we have? And then we won't have that surprise come January 5th or 6th when I get the credit card statement like I was this year. I think there's a lot of people probably out there feeling that very pain right about now, right around the 10th of January where the credit card statement comes in and it's that, oh, did I really? You know, like what was that old ad about? Did I really eat the whole thing? Right. Did I, did I really spend? We did that. We spent that much on Christmas. Yeah. That's how I felt. And I got to say, I'm feeling much better from the time we started having this conversation just a few minutes in of having some clarity about what I'm going to do differently. I feel very much like I'm getting started on the right path for 2021. Two and kinds that, of pain. Two kinds of pain, pal. <laughs> yeah. Pain of discipline and the pain of regret. Amen. And we, as a matter of fact, on the conversation of credit cards, and then we'll get into uh, our interview conversation today. So our 20-year-old daughter, Emily, she just actually filled out an application last night for her first credit card. It was a conversation that lasted into dinner and after dinner on what is a credit card? How do you use a credit card? What do you use it for? What about the point thing? You know, the interest rate that they charge, really? They can charge 24% interest? Yeah. And just the whole concept of credit, right? And building, and then the real impetus behind it was to start to develop a credit score for her and a credit history so that she doesn't have to have my Honda cosine story that we've talked about on the podcast many episodes ago. So yeah, the whole, the whole conversation around credit, whether you're 20, 40, 60 or 80 is a, is a powerful conversation. Oh, and it's a great conversation for this 
topic of getting started on the right path. Sure. A lot starts with our ability to be smart, to be intentional, and to really understand how this credit card thing works. We are very excited. So I know we have talked about our uh, executive producer of the show, Ace, also known as Jeff Holden, and he and his wife, Teresa, have been uh, courageous enough to join us today in the studio for a conversation around this very thing about, you know, getting started on the right path. Uh, We're going to talk about the money conversation. We're going to talk about the relationship aspect of money. And then as well, how has this affected them individually? And what do I mean by that? I mean, this whole COVID world that we're in today and how has it changed the money conversation at the individual and at the couple level? So Teresa and Jeff, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Thanks. This is a treat. We always get to talk to Jeff, but Teresa, to have you in studio today is wonderful. Well, it's nice to be here. I couldn't think of two better people to have as our first guests as we kick off this next big year of financial sobriety than, you know, Jeff, you've you've been with us since the very beginning. You've been right in the middle of this. So getting some of your perspective on just how the whole financial sobriety thing has affected you and you talk to us a lot about, Teresa, I feel like we've gotten to know you through the stories with Jeff, but I'm, I'm going to tee this up and I, I'd love to hear from, from the both of you just really how has 2020 changed your relationship with money? If you think back a year from now or a year ago to where we are today, what do you feel has, has really changed for the both of you? I'll start with that simply because of an awareness that we've got from the program. And we really enjoy the program outside of the fact that I haven't produced it with you guys. But every episode that we complete, Teresa gets right away. And it's, you got to hear this. You got to hear this, uh, especially because there's a lot of things that align very well with how we function in our household. Some of it on the financial side, but even more so on the self side, the relationship with self, relationship with others. And we discuss that a lot and how it impacts what we do with everything, including our money. And not unlike yourself, Matthew, we don't, we're not perfect. We screw it up. And at the end of the year, we're like, oh my gosh, look what we did here. But we tend to do it not on nickels and dimes and add it all up to a thousand or two. We just make one big, giant, stupid purchase, you know, and then we have to take care of it. It's like, oh God, we did that. But it's an awareness. It's just an awareness. Sure. Who handles the money transactions and pays the bills and all that stuff in your house? We actually both do. We have two accounts and then a joint account. And the primary accounts would be me. I I take care of those. But we discuss them as I'm doing them all the time. And are you guys newlyweds or been married for a while? (laughs) Well, we're into the relationship almost 19 years, but our next anniversary is 12. Fantastic. So, I mean... The courses that you took before you got married on how to handle money, how to handle hard conversations around money, were those helpful for you? We both have a good education independently on what we wanted to do different going into this together. Oh, that's beautiful because my question was intentionally a bit jokish. I was going to say you were being sarcastic. Yeah, exactly. I love the the fact that you guys actually had some experience with it because so often when we talk with clients... They don't have a clue how to do this. And think, so kudos kudos to you guys for, you know, for being intentional with how you wanted things to be different as a couple. Well, we're well, lucky. We're lucky for that. 
We've been around a long time, and we have a long history and experiences that we brought together and both intentionally wanted to do things different. Yeah. And we have, really. Despite Jim's uh, kind of being funny ha-ha with the question that he asked, I mean, it sounds like whether it's formally, you know, formal classroom education or just the school of hard knocks and life, Teresa, it sounds like there have been some experiences that you've had with money in your past as to why you wanted to do things differently when you married Jeff. I'd love to hear about some of those things that you wanted to do differently. And then again, coming back to, you know, what was it in 2020 that has changed even further about how we work with money in our family? I think that the key word is intentional. And I think Jeff and I both came into this relationship intentionally, and we were very careful having made a few mistakes. I think we've just both were really aware that we wanted to pay attention to every aspect of how we're going to go about this new relationship. And money is so huge. It's such a big deal that when it comes to talking about money, especially when you start getting intertwined, if you don't, it's like having a big secret against each other. And the communication piece, which is relationships, and everything Jeff told me about his work with you, it all makes so much sense. And it all is so intertwined with the personal relationship that you can't help but grow. And you can't go back once you take that step. So open communication between the two of you about money conversations has had a meaningful impact on your relationship. That's what I just heard, yes? Yes. Are there any good stories when you've had some friction around money? One of you wanted to spend on something or you spent on something and it caused a little friction? That's more often want to versus did because we discuss that. Great. Yeah, the the did would be an issue if it was of significance. But it's what are those things that we have as goal items that we'd like to see happen? They tend to be around the house, you know, maybe a new car. So it's it's those sorts of things. Like I said, we're beyond the accumulation of material stuff. You get to a point where, yeah, don't need it, don't want it, don't care, don't need another one of those. But the things that we do now are future life-changing things because they're big. It's it's your house. It's where you live. It's where you spend the majority of your time today for sure. Or, you know, I happen to be a car aficionado. I love cars. Really? How about that, huh? Huh. And I know I'm not alone. Not on this show. (laughs) And for those who have listened, I like mine clean too. That a baby. I knew I liked you. But those things can cause the friction. And that's where you sit and you just really discuss it and go, we don't have the money for that. Or how are we going to get the money for that? And it's going to take some concerted effort to get there. The other thing that you asked, I think, initially, Matthew, was 2020. What's changed? I think not only amongst ourselves, but even amongst our friends and, and family, the kids, as we talk about that, nobody's going out as much. There's no more hospitality spend. And without that hospitality spend, you realize, oh my gosh, look at all this money. And no planned vacation, no restaurants, very little takeout. No concerts, no sporting events, no correct, no, inter- no entertainment. Then all of a sudden you've got this extra money and you go, wow, look at how much money we spent on stuff like that, that you just didn't realize because it was almost an automatic. And all of a sudden now there's extra couple hundred bucks in the account. And before you know it, it's a couple thousand dollars. And it allows you to really focus in on the ability to manage that even better than you were previously when you weren't aware of it. 
So if we were to wave a wand and COVID's over and we get to go back to restaurants and sporting events and travel and all that stuff, will, will there be anything that you do differently with your spending in that area? Will you be even more intentional or will you kind of ease up a little bit and just kind of, you know, let your hair down and go have fun? Well, I think we'll be way more intentional. I think the COVID thing, not only not being able to go anywhere and do anything or because of that, you're sitting home, you're working from home, you're not interacting. So you're thinking, at least I am. And you think about all these things. And it's kind of embarrassing when I think about some of the things that I've spent money on outside of COVID. I'm thinking of things like like clothes and shoes and books and my favorite things, which I have way too much of it all. <laughs> you can never have too many shoes. Come on now. I know, but I mean, I, I agree, but not so much anymore. My awareness is changing. That's awesome. You know, this morning I got a new pair of, from upstate New York, we call them sneakers. Mm -hmm. And I got a new pair of sneakers for my birthday, which was earlier this week. And I needed to exchange them for a different size. So I go into the shop called Forward Motion down in Danville, California. Those guys are absolutely amazing at what they do. And the sales guy's like, so tell me, with, with these shoes, what, what are they for? And without even any hesitation, I said, they're for life. Right. And his question was really, I was, you know, am I going to be running? Am I playing golf? Mm -hmm. Is it squash? Is it, you know, what? And I said, dude, I don't wear any other shoes anymore because I'm home all the time. So I'm wearing sneakers. I mean, I haven't put on a pair of my dress shoes in nine months. I just wonder culturally what will be like six months, a year after COVID, will we slide back into those things, you know, either intentionally or unintentionally. So mm -hmm. I, I think it's, I think it's powerful that there are so many people that we talk to in our private practice with our clients that I work with a, a couple that's in Boston and they're going from a, a run rate or a burn rate of around 11 or $12,000 a month down to about seven or $8,000 a month. That's a meaningful difference. That's a lot of excess cash flow, if you will, in a business sense, to reallocate two different things. Uh, you know what I'm, I'm shocked by is we didn't hear Matthew chime in on the shoes. I could have, but this section of the show is sponsored by Allbirds. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, I used to, sure, I got lots of different pairs of Allbirds, but good on me for not buying more Allbirds this year. I did not buy a single pair of new Allbirds in 2020. Come on. Not a single pair. That's big. I bought two pairs of shoes in 2020, and you saw them both, Jim. They were nice shoes that I needed so that when I did come into the office, because we did have a little let up with COVID where we could come into work for a little while. Of course, now we're all back to working from home for the most part. But I wanted to buy some real work shoes so I wasn't just living in, as you would call them, sneakers, sneakers. when I came in to see clients. Yes. That purchase was very much done under the 10-10-10 principle because these are shoes that I believe I will still have in 10 years. Yeah, probably so. Yeah. Because at the rate that we're having meetings in the office, it'll take 10 years to get any uh, real wear and tear out of them. <laughs> exactly. You know, I'm, I'm going to add another thing, too, because this does come up in conversation frequently. You're going to laugh, Teresa. But we'll have a discussion that maybe gets a little more in-depth with something. <laughs> I'll laugh. <laughs> And she'll go, it's not that funny in the conversation, as you know, at the certain points in time. And I just put my hands up and I say, wait. And nice. <laughs> right. This happens. This and it's, it happens fairly often now because I got that in my psyche of why am I talking? 
Why am I talking? What am I going to accomplish here? This isn't going to change anything. Now, the thing I can't do is just walk away. I do have to engage the conversation and listen through it. But I really am very conscious about what happens with some of the acronyms that are in the program, and I use them, and then I have to share them. He does. He does. I I can tell you right now. I have to share them with her when I do it so she knows what's going on. Well, it sounds like you listened to the last episode that we just posted on handling conflict. Uh, Good on you. Yes, I did. We've got a lot of halt going around our house lately. Oh, yes. So I'll hear hear my 12-year-old grand every once in a go, halt. I'm like, (laughs) wow, they're actually picking up what we're laying down. And if Grant's saying that, I would imagine it's generally because he's hungry. Hungry, angry, tired. lonely, or tired. Yes. And then I will occasionally go E, all the above. Those little acronyms, there's some powerful stuff to be gained from that. And the fact that you're using it, that's an even greater testament because the number one cause for divorce in the United States is money. And when you're not on the same page about money, and I mean, we could do a seven-part miniseries, Matthew, on all the stories we could tell on conflict that exists in relationships around money. Yeah. And the fact that you, that Teresa and Jeff, you guys are able to talk about bigger decisions in advance, right? Like, so as an example, do you guys have like a threshold where if it's more than X number of dollars, you need to like talk with one another about it? We don't have it as a set number that if it's over X, but I think we both intuitively know that if it's over X, which would probably be three, four, five hundred dollars, something in that space. And I see Teresa's shaking her head. We, we kind of just know that's that number. If it's going to be beyond that, let's make sure we walk through it and talk through it and know what we're doing with it. Yeah. Yeah. And then you and then it sounds like you've both gotten some awareness around if there is any conflict with that discussion, being very, very aware of and intentional with some of these acronyms to try to minimize or avoid conflict. Wait, why am I talking? Mm-hmm. halt. Am I hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? And if I am any one of those things, maybe now's not the time to have this conversation. And since my wife's nickname is T, it's a capital T on halt. There you go. And tired will come up often. And I know we can't have these conversations past eight o'clock yeah. in our household <laughs> because if she's tired, it's not going to happen. I love the money conversations that are also while in bed. You know, with four kids and a dog, there are some times where the 9.30 conversation where our heads are both on pillows, the, the money conversation will come up because there was no time for it during the day. And we got to pay this bill or that bill or we got this going on. We got to, uh, my, uh, my wife of 23 years is one of the fastest go-to-sleepers of all time. You can generally count on two hands in seconds. That's somewhere between 10 and 20 seconds before she's asleep. So that, Jeff, that is an awesome rule. No no money talk after 8 p.m. Yeah. He knows that I can't make any decisions after that time. Nothing. And I'll get really cranky. Those little subtleties make a difference. Knowing those things about your partner in terms of when is a good time to have the money conversation. We have clients we're working with right now where one of the partners is always so busy, they're never able to have the money conversation. And the other partner's kind of chasing the other one around, trying to figure out, well, we got to talk about the money. When can we talk about it? And it it never happens. Until that point in time when it does happen and it's not pretty. And then, yeah, then it's, yeah. Well, that's what what happened to Amy and me. We never, going way, way back to what kicked off the podcast, going back to 2005 and where I wound up in July of 05, 
being overdrawn on my bank account and completely maxed out on my credit cards. I mean, we, we had reached that place, Jeff, to your point, where because we hadn't had really any good open communication about money stuff, we were just both spending like it was growing on a tree in our backyard next to our Mandarin tree and that it would just always be a crop for us to pick. Mm -hmm. And that really helped us strengthen our communication muscle with being able to talk about money. We got into the regular habit of scheduling time to talk about money. And I'm so proud of that. It works so well. We stopped doing it. I know it's been very helpful for me to have the both of you in studio today just as that validation of getting started on the right path for 2021, that I'm going to make the commitment to schedule time with Amy, at least on a monthly basis, so that we can sit down and talk about what do we see out for the next 30 days, as well as Jim, what you were saying in the beginning of our conversation, let's measure some progress in the rearview mirror of how we've used our money in the last month. Did we use it the way we had anticipated? Sure. And, and that can be the basis for some of the how we're going to use it going forward in the next month with what we know is coming. Thank you for that, both of you. You know, there's two things I think I'd like to address. One of them is both of you still have children at home. It changes when the kids are gone dramatically. Because... Oh, tell me more. <laughs> Please help me dream a little. That's right. That spend and drain on the account isn't there because you're not feeding all those little mouths. If they're gone, pass through college, you're not paying for college or saving for college and insurance and phones and cars, all that stuff's gone. All of a sudden now it's yours and you really have to think about it because if you didn't do it when you were with children, now you have a retirement issue too. And you really want to be thinking about what that next step is once those kids are gone. And hopefully you had something you could get in, whether it was through your work or you know, however you saved your money. But once they're gone, it's not all yours to spend. You have to really think about how are you going to manage it? Otherwise, you won't have something going forward. You know, I think one of our initiatives, Matthew, in 2021 is to encourage Jeff to get a securities license. That sounded as financial consultant-ish as I could ever hope for. Yeah, if this podcast thing ever doesn't work out, that's a nice plan B for Jeff. Oh, yeah, let's go. Yeah, we've got room at Gebhardt Group. Jeff, I appreciate that perspective because when I think about right now with a 20-year-old and a 17-year-old living in my house and the amount of food they consume on a monthly basis, mm -hmm. when I think about the $465 a month car insurance bill I pay, and that's my 17-year-old isn't even driving yet. That's just with... Amy, myself, and my 20-year-old. That's a lot of Allbirds. Lucas yep. is going to be getting licensed here pretty soon. Yeah, there, there's a few pairs, few pair of Allbirds in that monthly insurance premium. When I think about what my monthly spend is and what it is that keeps me up at night about money now, it's this idea of having an emergency savings. What keeps me up is if I'm not feeling good about what I've got in reserves because of what I know my monthly spend is to take care of these little rugrats who still eat me out of house and home. Mm -hmm. What I'm curious about for the two of you is as empty nesters, the, the children are grown and, and self-sufficient. What is it now at this point in life that keeps you both up about money? Well, I'll say losing our current income is frightening because we only have so many more years to be in the work world and we want to make it, you know, make enough money so that we aren't old and poor. We can't meet our needs. <laughs> yeah. 
So actually, the, what I mean, you literally what wakes you up at night, Teresa, is the thought of potentially losing your income and not being able to fund that tomorrow. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Because at this stage of the game, if I lost my job, say, I'd need to find another one. And it's a lot harder when you're in your 60s to try to find a job equivalent to what, where you've gotten yourself right you know, to this point. And so there's complications that occur with that scenario. So yeah, that's kind of frightening. So knowing, knowing that there's a limited amount of time on the clock, I mean, we talk about this with clients in the context of investing. And, you know, Matthew and I both being classically trained at big brokerage firms, we were taught a method of managing money that is called buy and hold, or as we like to affectionately call it, buy, hold, and hope. And that's a beautiful model if you ever have the opportunity to repeat your 40s or 50s or 60s or 70s, right? You get one shot around the sun. So knowing that you have a limited amount of time, working time left, I can totally understand and respect how that might keep you up at night. Because if you did lose a job, and we have friends that are going through various changes in their careers, and even in their mid-50s, they're struggling to have multiple offer situations. I, I would imagine there's a, a, an amount of pressure that builds up knowing that, you know, we really need this to work out in a certain timeline. So yeah, I, I could see where that would keep you up at night. The anxiety of that situation, coupled with the fact that you're looking at, there's a finite timeline here. We're not going to live to 100, or at least it's, it's not likely. And you start looking at how much is left and to the entire financial sobriety program of the essence of relationship with money, it's not about amassing wealth. Although in your 20s and 30s, 40s, and some people forever think it's just about amassing the wealth without the concept of what does that wealth do for you. And we struggle all the time in conversations with friends. And I'm guilty of the same thing of just chasing money. And at some point you're going... I got to enjoy this too. And I have to figure out how we build it and craft it and spend it so that it's done appropriately as opposed to just continually chasing it because you want what more stuff. And I think we're all realizing stuff isn't the answer, especially with COVID. You can't do stuff. You can't spend stuff. You can't buy stuff that you can really share. It's about the experiences with your children, with your friends, family, whatever it may be, that's what's significant. And I think a lot of people have found just living at home together with their spouse, it can be pretty cool. You do things differently. You cook at home, which maybe you didn't do as much before, or you entertain at home. You're watching things together. We just finished, she did more of it than I did, but we finished a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle. How often does anybody do that anymore? I mean, I, oh, I, don't, yeah. I don't know, but we did it and it was a lot of fun. Yeah, nice. and we've got about six. We've got about six puzzles in our dining room table right now. <laughs> right. Uh, that uh, I'm I am not a puzzle guy. Uh, I do puzzles for a living. So when I come home, I know I, I'm I'm in the no puzzle zone. Right. You want uh, a basketball game on the television? Oh, come on! Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So you're, you're spot on, Jeff, and I think that's part of the hidden beauty in COVID is a redefinition of what's important and. That dovetails beautifully into the second part of the conversation that we have with clients, right? We love to know what keeps them up at night about money so that we can tackle that. But then, particularly in light of COVID, realizing that there is a finite amount of time left to be working, 
do you guys ever have conversations around, you know, kind of what does financial security look like for the two of you? And if so, maybe how, how has that changed with the COVID perspective? I don't really think it's changed with COVID, except for COVID has opened our eyes up as to our own financial behavior, if you will. And our conversations around financial security have a lot to do with charities and, and having the opportunity to support other organizations that we believe in. So that's a big piece of what we talk about now and again. That's awesome. Jeff, how about, how about you? We would like to have a home in Carmel at some point. What does that look like to get there? What do we need to do to do that? And that's a part of the conversation frequently. And as we get older, does it become less of or more of a reality? So it's a part of the conversation. If we do this, how does it affect that? The concept of those, a big ticket item like a second home in Carmel and, you know, the, the hows around that, right? I mean, that's, that's so much of where I, I can see the strength that the two of you have together with money is your willingness to talk about that ideal scenario and then to then, you know, set about a, a game plan and a mission to go save for it. And I think for people who are listening to what we're talking about, who can relate to it and are in similar situations, it's not easy. It doesn't always work the way you want it to. And we've been talking about this Carmel house for 10 years. We go down every year for a big event, and we spend a couple of other weekends down there throughout the year. And we looked at houses back in the day when we were in different employment positions. It's too much money. Well, now it's doubled, and we're in a very different employment position in terms of income. And we're going, okay, well, that didn't bode well. So has <laughs> it become, is it still a reality? Do we still have that opportunity? We're both very optimistic people, and we're thinking if we do certain things, yeah, the opportunity still exists. We're going to have to figure this out. And just to be clear, we're referring to Carmel by the Sea, not Carmel, Indiana. Yeah, that's yeah. correct. Ironically, though, so for all of you listening in Carmel, Indiana, we love you. I just think the cost of living is probably a little lower there. Yeah, but yeah. T, you have to you have to share that my sister lives there, <laughs> Carmel, Indiana. <laughs> Yes, we have listeners yeah. in Carmel, Indiana. Yeah. It's actually so, Carmel. She Carmel. Clarifi- clarified to me it's Carmel, not Carmel. So right there you Carmel, go. Carmel, Indiana. Gotcha. Absolutely. You well, know what of course. I, I think is noteworthy is probably everybody does this. We don't have a communication problem. We have an easy time talking about everything. But the funny thing is when it comes to money, the conversations change. And over the years, it's kind of like we talk about, say, the Carmel house and frequently we start negotiating things that we have, like we could sell this, we could do that. We, could, we often like reallocate the things that we have and figure out how can we make this happen. And over, as years go by, it sort of changes. Or, you know, and it might not be the, the house. It might be a, a car or a, a vacation or something. But frequently we reallocate everything we have in different ways to get something what it sounds like is you've come together on some of the whys, the overall important get to Carmel, and then where the dialogue starts to change is the how we're going to go about doing it. Yeah, and again, we have no problem talking about all of it. Our disagreements come because one wants, no, I don't want to sell that. No, I, I want this. No, I want that. You know, it, And so the disagreements come to specifically what's got to go or what's, what's the new thing going to look like. 
do you see, Teresa, that because you and Jeff are generally in alignment with what it is you're trying to accomplish, meaning this whole let's get a place in Carmel, that you're able to come to some compromise when yeah. it comes to the how yeah. we're going to do it? Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. I think we're really good about compromising. I think we're good about opening each other's eyes to stop and think about what we're saying we want so bad and how bad we want it. And then all of a sudden, it doesn't seem that important to me that the new, that the, the remodel on the current house has to have a $8,000 cool bathtub. It's like, oh, all right. All right. I mean, I actually, yeah, I'd rather have a place in Carmel someday than that or the $10,000 front door that's so cool, so cool. But we did that? We gave up the $10,000 front door? Not yet, but we're, I, we're, we're talking I about we're, it. I think we're, we're going to talk about that right now, Jeff. <laughs> I think I've gotten some so, impact on the $8,000 bathtub, but... That didn't well, I, just I think that you, strike me, you strike me as a bubble bath kind of guy, Jeff, yeah. so I mean, I, I'm, I'm wondering if... Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it sounds like the door is going to be up for negotiation. Uh-huh. So, so I, I want to come back to the, the financial security question. So Teresa and Jeff, when we asked what does financial security look like in your life, you talked about both the ability to honor the the philanthropy, the the nonprofits you like to support. You've talked about this idea of a second home in Carmel. Is financial security the knowledge of being able to have these things in life? Like if we're able to do these things, we feel financially secure. Or are these more of the effect of what financial security will look like? You, you understand where I'm? Yes. That's, what I'm trying it's, to ask. It's here? more the effect. I think yeah. financial security is just being able to take care of ourselves for as long as we live. And do you feel like you have that? Do you feel like you have that financial security in your life, or you're still working toward that? I do think we do. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. It's what about you, Jeff? We've got that piece of the ability to take care of ourselves, barring any unforeseen catastrophic illnesses, but for the most part, yeah, that we've got taken care of. I know for me, the, the reason I ask is, is I know for me now, and this goes back to that first question of what keeps us up at night about money, what's been interesting is how for a long time, Amy and I were not on the same page about what financial security looked like in our life. Prior to coming into partnership with Jim, back when I worked for the big Wall Street companies, for me, financial security was always about that retirement account. And if I saw that retirement account was nice and flush and full and on track for where it needed to be when I got to that so, so-called finish line, I felt financially secure. But if, you were, if Amy were sitting here next to me right now, she would tell you that financial security for her was all about having some emergency savings in the bank. Now, what's been cool is we've come closer together on that. We've come more in alignment on that to where I think both of us would now tell you that financial security for us is knowing that if something crazy like, I don't know, a global pandemic Mm -hmm. were to hit us and something were to affect Jim's ability and my ability to create income for our family through our business, that I would have some emergency savings to be able to support my family in the meantime. That is everything as far as my definition of financial security right now. Fortunately for us in 2020, that wasn't the case. We are very grateful for the year that we had and the clients that we got to work with. And I also have a lot of confidence now in the future of what that retirement will look like because of the value of our business. So I don't anchor so much of my definition of financial security 
in that statement balance of, of the future as much as being able to cover unexpected expenses today. So like an oven. Right, like an oven that we just had to replace three days before Christmas. Happy holidays. Thank you. And it felt really good to have the emergency savings to do that. By the way, the $3,500 credit card bill had nothing to do with the oven. That was above <laughs> and beyond the oven. My question back to the both of you, how has your definition of financial security changed over the years? Has it changed? Dramatically. Mm-hmm. everything's changed. And keep in mind, we come from two different relationships in previous marriages. So that taught us a lot. Mm-hmm. And we learned what is important to us and how to deal with it differently and communicated that over the course of our relationship, obviously. So we know what baggage came into the relationship and how we were going to deal with that differently. It's not a panacea because you've done it before. And now you know that going forward, you're not going to do it again. You just do it differently. But the difference, I think, is the ability to speak about it with each other and to talk about it and be very open when it gets to that point. We have planned for ongoing income streams that if we did get laid up, those things still go on. Or, you know, that's how I chose my present job, having a retirement account from the other place vested and ready to go. So I have that. Now I'm hoping to stay in the job I have now long enough to have that so that when we stop working, if we ever really do, I mean, that could maybe never happen, (laughs) but that we have something that continues to bring us income. What you're saying is, is that, you know, when we go back to ask you that question about what keeps you up at night about money, you and Jeff have obviously had some dialogue about that and you've done something about that. You've recognized that losing Mm -hmm. our income is the Mm -hmm. one thing that keeps me up at night about money. So what the heck are we going to do about it? Mm -hmm. And and it sounds Mm -hmm. like you've done something about it. You've created Mm -hmm. other income streams Mm -hmm. in your life. You've planned for and you've saved for a time in your life that income could become interrupted. Any advice, any wisdom that you would like to share in the spirit of getting started on the right path for anybody who could benefit from what you've experienced together what would be the most important thing you would suggest for a couple to getting started on the right path for 2021? What would that be? I know what I'm going to say, and you can agree or disagree. And, and what we want to do, this is wrapping it up from 2020 into 2021. Yes. It's the ability to communicate with each other and know what it is you're trying to accomplish. Literally sit down and talk about it and plan it and put something down on paper as you speak so eloquently in every episode, it has to be intentional. You have to, nothing's going to happen if you don't do it. You can dream about it and think about it. <laughs> I know she's looking at me. Well, I'm, I'm just looking at you because you're saying exactly what I would have said, only you're saying it a lot better. And, and that's it. It's to literally sit down, talk about, even if it's short, it's a step in the right direction. If you didn't do it in 2020, do it in 2021. We are entering some very, very unique times where there's a lot of uncertainty. And the more you have a sense of direction and an understanding and ability to discuss with each other your financial situation, I think the better off you're going to be. I'll add that just on an emotional level, listening to each other and understanding what the other person might be afraid of and planning so that you can both feel safe and 
secure. And, and it, it can be exciting at that point going forward to work harder for the other person or know that they're working for you. It's kind of fun. So perhaps, and thank you for that. So perhaps for our listeners, the, the primary takeaway here is to sit down together and share with each other what keeps you up at night about money. Mm-hmm. What does financial security look like to me individually and share that with one another? That sounds like that could be an incredible activity to wrap up 2020 and kick off 2021 and get started on the right path. I'm so grateful for the both of you to be here today. It's been wonderful. Teresa, Jeff, thank you so much. Well, thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, thank you very much for sharing all those insights. Those are wonderful takeaways. Thanks for having us. So what do you think of that, partner? How was that? That's powerful. To know how thoughtful and intentional that they've been, it's a second marriage for both of them, and they had they had issues that they wanted to do differently together, and they sit down and talk about it and communicate and have a mutual respect and understanding for what they're trying to accomplish together. That's inspiring. I'm going to leave our podcast session today and go schedule a date with Beth to sit down and and do that very thing. Oh, ditto that, brother. That's a huge takeaway for me. I also love the fact that they were able to have a conversation about what keeps them up at night about money and then go do something about it. Actually put the plans in place to do something about it. So if that worst case scenario were to happen and come true, they're going to be okay. And it sounds like they no longer fear those things about money that they once did because that plan B has been put in place. Absolutely. And you know, the, the other thing I was thinking of is I, I know how, I, I know the best way to, for them to get the house in Carmel. Oh, yeah. What's so that? I guess we're going to have to follow up and, and let them know that the best way to do it is to inherit it. <laughs> there you go. Well, and on that note, my business partner and dear friend, I'm going to call that a wrap. If you like what you heard, leave us a review and be sure to subscribe. And check out our website, yourfinancialsobriety.com. Thanks again for listening today. Here to help you find more clarity, confidence, and capability along your journey into financial sobriety. I'm Matthew Grishman. And I'm Jim Gebhardt. Be intentional with your money. Jim Gebhardt is a registered representative of and securities offered through Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, member SIPC. Jim Gebhardt and Matthew Grishman are investment advisor representatives of Gebhardt Group Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, and Gebhardt Group Incorporated are not affiliated. The opinions in this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or investment recommendations. To determine which investments or financial advice may be appropriate for you, consult a financial advisor prior to investing. Any reference to market performance is based on historical information and there is no expressed or implied guarantee of future performance. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Brokers International Financial Services, LLC. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Gebhardt Group Incorporated does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance.